Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Man, I feel like it's my first time preaching in a while. But we are excited about what God is going to do through uh, this four-week four study of the book of Colossians. And it's good to jump around, look at different topics, but there's something good about just going through a whole book, looking at it, getting in all the meat of the, of the context and the scriptures and all of those things. Um, so we're, we're excited. We really, as a church, want to give you a well-balanced diet, you know, to where there's different styles, different ways we do it. Some, you know, now hopefully all of it's practical. Definitely all of it's going to be biblical, um, but just something that would really help you grow because that is one of my number one goals as the pastor, lead pastor of this church is to uh, cause you to be all that God has called you to be through the catalyst of growth. Um, if you're not growing, my wife and I feel like we are failing the church if you're not growing. So uh, some of the content might be challenging or difficult or it's intended to cause you to move. You got that? It's, it, it's, in cause, it's going to cause you to respond. Um, now, you can grit your teeth. You can hold on to your chair as tight as you can and refuse to, to change. But I'm going to do my part this morning, all right? So this morning, uh, uh, just one thing I really, 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 really want to reiterate on these announcements. The all-hands meeting, not this Sunday, but next Sunday evening at, at uh, 6 o'clock. It's like, man, I better be on time to my own meeting. Um, Big deal. We got a lot of stuff coming down the pipe for the church, a lot of information. Anybody in this room is welcome to that meeting, but members, I really want you there. I want you knowing where the church is going, where we're navigating, what the plans are, and it'll give you a chance just to really ask me and and our pastoral staff and some of our leaders any question that you need to know. So we're going to jump right into the book of Colossians. Be at that all-hands meeting. When is it? What time? We're at? So don't schedule nothing on that Sunday evening. Plenty of time. Don't say you already got plans. I know y'all don't plan that far out. So put that on the calendar and plan to be here with us. All right. So this morning, we're going to jump into the book of Colossians. We're going to do a quick intro, and then we're going to get into the meat of the passage. So Colossians was written by Paul during one of his many imprisonments. We know that Paul was in prison a lot. A lot of his letters were prison letters that he wrote during his time in prison. I guess you ain't got nothing better to do when you're in prison. So you write letters, you communicate. I thank God that they allowed him to send letters while he was in prison because he was still able to share the word and the gospel and the truths that we really read and have uh, in text today because of those written letters. Um, so in this book of Colossians, the church was started by Epaphras um, who had been converted and carried the gospel to Colossae. So like this, this is the area that he took the gospel to. So this was a young church that resulted, uh, in, that, that resulted in the gospel, but it became a target of heretical attack. So this was known as the Colossian heresy. So how many of you know that even in our times, there's a lot of different doctrines, there's a lot of beliefs, there's a lot of sometimes manipulation to the word of God, things that are taught that are unbiblical. If you don't realize that, you need to realize that, that there are teachings that are contrary to the word of God, but the only way you know what is accurate and what is false is if you know the word. 
Okay, so Epaphras was led to the, to the gospel of Jesus, and then he visited Paul in Rome, which ultimately led to Paul penning this letter. So the, the date, if you're a historical guru, um, is estimated that it was written about 60 A.D. is when the book of Colossians was written uh, during uh, Paul's first Roman imprisonment. I think that's funny. First one, second one, lots of times. Like, he was in prison a lot. So the ultimate theme uh, uh, is, to, is to really, and the goal of this, of this book is to refute the Colossian heresy. Um, and his goal, Paul's goal here, is to exalt Christ. And he communicates in this book that Christ, in Christ, there is complete adequacy, everything that you need. So we've been given the fullness in Christ. So the theme phrase that we know that we can take away from this book is Jesus is enough. Can you say that with me? Say, Jesus is enough, period. Like there's nothing that we can add. There's nothing that we can take away. We know that Jesus is enough in every facet, in every detail. Um, and we're going to see that as we dive into this passage. So there's always, every time he starts a book, he starts with a greeting, a thanksgiving, and a prayer. So Paul shares at the beginning uh, in verses 1 through 8, uh, he talks about what the gospel, that the gospel is a word of truth. And what we're going to do, we're going to read the passage, and then we're going to break down the passage, okay? So we're going to read the whole chapter. So you can say after you leave today, man, I read a whole chapter in the Bible today, okay? So you'll be able to, we're going to really read it, then we're going to dissect it, and we're going to look at it and see what... Uh, you know, Paul was trying to imply here and show us through this passage. So we're going to start in uh, Colossians 1, 1 through 8. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Verse 4, it says, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and also told us of your love in the Spirit. So the first really nugget of that first context of Scripture, it talks about the gospel. So the question that we have to understand is, what does the gospel do? Well, I'm glad you asked because we have some guidance in there. So one of the first thing it says, it says that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. So we know that the gospel does what? It bears fruit. So we know that in Matthew 12, 33, it says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree will be recognized by its fruit. So we know that the gospel that takes root in the heart of humanity is going to bear fruit. A heart that has not been transformed by the gospel is going to bear bad fruit. And it says that everyone can be known by their fruit. So if you're acting like you're not saved, you got to evaluate what's happening, right? You ever had anybody tell you that? Are you even saved? You're not acting like it right now. And I know that there's moments in our life where we don't act Christ-like or we don't model all of the characteristics of Christ, but our fruit should be growing. There should, we should be bearing good spiritual fruit. Amen? Amen? How many of you know you should be? How many of you aren't? I think nobody raised their hands like, 
Man, <laughs> trick question there. So we know that it's going to bear fruit. So you can only produce spiritual, God-glorifying fruit by being grafted into the vine. And we know that that's through Jesus. Um, and that only happens through receiving this true gospel that this passage was talking about. Faith in Jesus, love for one another is the evidence of the gospel and faith in your life. Faith in Jesus and love for one another. In verse 4, it says, you have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for one another. So this church that he was writing to, this people group, they saw the marks, the characteristics of the gospel taking place, bearing fruit, changing their lives. There was evidence of it. You know, I hope as our church, you know, people see the byproducts of lives changed by Jesus. Because we know that there are churches out there and, you know, and somebody is always a hypocrite of the church. We know that. But how many of you have heard of people that have been on the receiving end of a bad testimony or a bad witness from someone in the church? You know what? And usually it leads to somebody saying, well, I don't believe in organized religion or I don't know about these church folks. Or, and man, it just really fractures them from really trusting in the church. And I believe that we are stewards of that testimony. We are stewards of the gospel, right? We are, we are bearing witness to the world around us what the church should look like. I remember when I was younger and I was in youth ministry um, and we were, we were all in our youth group. And how many of you know when you're young and dumb, you do young and dumb stuff? Well, I started getting frustrated with all of our friends because I said, listen, before you do something stupid, know you go to our youth group. Because what you do outside the four walls of the church is going to push back and say, that is what that is. You are really the advocate of the church and you are an advocate of Harvest Time Church. And I still take that personally today. That what you do outside the four walls of the church is way more important than what you do inside the four walls. Because we got to forgive you. And we got to look past it. But the world will hold a grudge forever. So we have to look at this fruit. We have to allow the gospel to completely transform us from the inside out. Now, I'm not saying be perfect. But I am saying please be aware that fruit is evident. And if you see a lot of bad fruit in your life, you need to just ask God to cut that completely off that tree. Because the fruit, when we give our lives to the gospel, we got to realize sometimes that fruit is still on the tree and it's just slowly dying, but it needs to be completely removed. You know, my grandpa, he used to graft trees and what he would do, he would graft a bigger tree, not a small tree. And he actually had this one tree because he says it would be so cool to have a tree that I could have lemon and limes on the same tree. So what he did, he grafted into that tree. He let one side grow this way, had lemons. He grafted into it, and the other side made limes, lemon and limes on the same tree. It was grafted, but it was grafted in the same root. I think sometimes when we come to Jesus, there's still some of that hanging fruit that needs to be far removed from our lives. It's some of our old habits. It's some of our old ways. Well, well, you don't understand. That's how I used to be exactly, and that's the point. That's who you used to be. So anytime that you see some of that bad fruit, how we cut it off is say, Lord Jesus, help me. We surrender it to God, and we remove that, and we sever it from our lives. Don't let it linger. Don't let it stay. But remove it far from your life. Okay? But we'll be known, the evidence of faith will be faith in Jesus and our love for each other. John 13, 35, it says, But everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So it's not so much how we just treat the world, but how do we treat each other. 
And if we can't treat each other well, how in the world are we supposed to treat the world well? You know, and there's a lot of drama in the church. I've been in it long enough to see sometimes the church can be just as cruel and mean as the world. Um, I hope I don't see it. You know, I was in our new membership class. I say, hey, listen, if you're gossiping or you're running your mouth or you're trying to destroy something we're building, you're going to have a come to Jesus meeting with pastor. I just guard that with all urgency because I know that that has the, has the potential to destroy the church. If we allow it to fester, if we allow it to be a part of what we're doing, and it's just not worth it. We're working way too hard. There's too much at stake for the, our church to fail. I can't control every other church, but I feel like we can kind of, I can influence and through leaders helping and we can kind of keep watch over the church. But I believe that God has called us to a high standard. So you, we will know, the world will know that we're his disciples by our love for one another. Look to somebody to your left and to your right and say, hey, you got to love me. Now look to the one you didn't want to look at and say, you got to love me. Okay? <laughs> you got to love me. So, so number one, what does the gospel do in our lives? It bears fruit. Secondly, it grows. So an effective gospel should spread because it is lived out and shared with others. A Christian life should be a contagious life. People should look at our lives and say, man, I want that. Man, how, what, what do you have that I don't have? We're doing exactly the same thing. We're working the same job, but you're so excited. It seems like you're, everything's going your way. What is the secret? The secret is the gospel. The secret is Jesus in our heart. So it should grow. It should be something that our, our Christian life should be a contagious life. If not, you're living it wrong. You know, the longer I live, the more goodness I see of God. You know, he is just, you know, and I just feel like he says, Pastor Noe. I don't know if he calls me pastor. He calls me Noe. Jeez, he shouldn't call me pastor. feel weird like. <laughs> uh, but he just says, you have not even yet tasted and seen who I am. And, and I'm striving. I'm searching. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn who God is more and more. And if we would just press in, we would see the goodness and the fullness. But a, 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 the gospel, it grows. Also, it must be heard and it must be understood. It says, since the day you heard it, uh, it, it was spreading and bearing visible spiritual fruit in your lives. So those who heard the testimony, they were changed by the gospel. That's what the gospel does. So then we move on to verses 9 through 14, and this is Paul's prayer for the church. You know, how he prays, he prays according to God's will. So when we look at those dynamics in his prayer, we know that those things are for us, and we can adapt those into our lives. So let's look at verse 19 through 14. It says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. How many of you know that's the kind of friends you want in your life? That they keep praying for you. You say, man, some of us, we got to pray for you, right? But they keep praying. And then it goes on and says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into his kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So that passage is packed 
full of promises. So one thing it says, it says to be filled with the knowledge of his will. So we will have spiritual wisdom and understanding that comes from him. It also goes on to say that we will have, we will live lives worthy of the Lord. So what does that mean? Living a life worthy of the Lord, that we live lives that bring him pleasure. Here's how we do it. We bear fruit. We grow in the knowledge of God. We are strengthened to his glorious might. Do you realize the things that change and break off of our lives? It's not by our sheer willpower, but it's by the power of God at work in us that just severs those things in our life. I've heard testimony after testimony. Uh, once people receive salvation and they receive Jesus, there are things that just immediately change. There's really no explanation except Jesus. And remember, we said the theme of all of these passages is what? Jesus is enough. He just severs those things. He changes those things because that's what he does. Right? So he's going to strengthen you. He's going to, so that you may have endurance and patience. How many of you need some endurance? How many of you are runners? How many of you are not runners? All the rest of you, right? So if we just started down the road, 457, said, all right, let's go. I said, I'll show you this endurance. I'm going to walk back to Bay City. But how many of you know just getting there would require endurance? It would take collaboration. It would be like, hey, come on, you can make it. You know, but it says that he gives us that endurance. But it's in his strength. When we are weak, he is strong. He works in us. He works through us so that we can have endurance. How, many, how about patience? How many of you need patience in your life? I, see, I feel like sometimes, you know, God is always too slow and he's never moving as fast as I want. But we got to trust the timing and the plan of God that he knows what's best. But he gives us that endurance and patience. It says being joyful. So we, we give thanks knowing that he has qualified you. Think about that just for a minute. God in all his graciousness through Jesus qualified you. He gave you something that you were undeserving of. He gave you something that you fell short of, that you could never hit the mark. Do you realize a, a, a life of striving still falls short of the goodness of God? You can try to be good enough, but God had a better plan. He was going to send Jesus. He was going to redeem us, but he qualifies us so that we can share in the inheritance of the saints. So what that means is when we read the promises that God promised to people and he said, for all my people, guess what? That included you and I. It allowed us to be partakers of that. What he promised the saints, he would also promise to us. So what is this guaranteed promise? What is this promise that he gave us? This promise is that he rescued you from the dominion of darkness. He came in and he swooped you out of a situation. He took you out of the situation you were in. We were blind to the things of God and our eyes were open. The light was switched on. We saw what we could not see. He came in and did that. He did the work. He drew near to us. But he took us, he rescued us from that dominion of darkness. And it says that he brought us into the kingdom of God. So he didn't just rescue us out of one, but he took us out of one and placed us in another. And that kingdom is like no other. But God desires that kingdom to be expanded on the earth. 
through you and I, and he's given us all dominion and power and authority through Jesus. So he did this through Jesus whom he loves. And it says, in him, referring to Jesus, he gives us the forgiveness of sins. Now notice the word sins there has an S at the end. Do you realize that is the plural form, which means that is all sin? Thank God for that. I didn't get no amens on that. Can you imagine if God was keeping a list? He'd need a new pen. Another one. This guy keeps messing it up. Think about it. He forgives us of all sin, all iniquity. You know, I often think some of us don't realize how guilty we are. Well, I was a good kid. Come up here. Let me let, share your most horrific things you've ever done that nobody knew about. Still real good, huh? What if it was all laid bare? What if it was all revealed? But we know that God can see those things. God knows those things. Scripture actually says that all have fallen short of the glory of goodness of God, deserving of death. But it was Jesus who came. It was God who sent him. That promise was res rescued us from the dominion of darkness. It brought us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. And through Jesus, we would receive forgiveness of all sin. Anything that we've done or would do would be covered. All right. Keep on moving because there's a, there's a lot in this chapter one. Keep going. So when we look at verses 15 through 20, this is talking about the supremacy of, of Christ. So this is really my favorite part of this whole chapter one. You know, when we, talk, we use the word supremacy, it's talking about the omnipotence of who, of who Christ is. It is saying that he is all powerful, bold, A-L-L, all powerful. He can do anything. He can change anything. He, he's, he's the big dog of the big dogs, right? No one's like him. Nobody compares. And, and when we look at this passage, Jesus was like this because God gave him the authority to be. Okay? So let's jump into this passage starting in verse 15. It says, the son is, let me stop there just for a minute. All of this is 100% accurate of who Jesus is. Because when the word says this is who he, he is, we have to pay attention to what comes after. It doesn't matter what you think he is. It doesn't matter what you assume he is. You have to read what the scripture says because this is who God said he is. Okay? So if one of these, you're like, ooh, I think that you're stupid. God's smart. Okay? Just whatever you're thinking. If, 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 I, if one of these things that I say really mess up your theology, well, I thought, well, you need to change the way you think. Because I'm about to map out what the scripture says Jesus is and who he is. Okay, we ready? Say, Lord, give me an open mind. Help my ignorance. Help me have wisdom and revelation of who you are. Here, let's go into this. So the son is the image of the invisible God, the first over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or... Um, or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that, it, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven." By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
So who is Jesus? He is, first and foremost, the image of the invisible God. The disciples even said, we want to see God, show us God. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He is God in the flesh. So whatever Jesus did, that's what God would do. Jesus even said, I do nothing that I don't see my Father doing. It says that he had, he was, he had pleasure in giving the fullness to dwell in him. What was he talking about there? Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He, he, he gave him all authority and dominion. This was the first time it was given to humanity without measure in fullness. That's who Jesus was. It says, by him all things were created. Notice it says, in the heavens and in the earth. That he redeemed everything. How many of you know that the world is a broken system? Well, you know, heaven's system was broken when Lucifer decided to uh, be equal with God. And I'm sure there was some order brought there also because he got cast down to the earth. But it says that he created all things. You know, he had dominion of all things, things on the earth, things in heaven, visible and invisible. And he keeps on going thrones, powers, rulers and authorities. You know, God doesn't mess up. All of these things are released under God's sovereign rule and dominion through the avenue of Jesus. <clears throat> That's the way he set it up. So when somebody is in a position of authority on a throne, in power, or a ruler, or authority, none of that happens without God approving it. Or allowing it. Or him working through it. So don't pray against something. Pray for God's will to be done through it. Because we get so mad and say, God, well, if you would have done da 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 or why, man, if this would have happened, we'd, we wouldn't be. doesn't matter. God knows what he's doing. He doesn't mess it up. And he actually orchestrates his plan in the details of the world through these broken systems. All right. It says, all things were created by him and for him. Everything was created to bring God glory through the Son. Everything that Jesus did, he says, I, I come to glorify my Father. Well, guess what? If that's the DNA of what Jesus did, what do you think the DNA should be of what we do? Should be, it should be to bring God glory. Man, how do we do that? <laughs> Jesus. He didn't, he didn't, you know, and, and I think that that's our excuse sometimes. Well, we're not Jesus, but guess what? He gave us the same authority that God gave him. All things. It says he is the head of the church, which is his body. That is a great thing because that means he will defend and protect and this church will be victorious if we stay submitted under Jesus. Moment you get out in front of Jesus, pastor was no more. What happened? Didn't stay submitted under the true head, which is Jesus. We are the bride and he is the groom. We are to submit and to follow his leading. An arrogant church is going to plow forward outside of that authority. But if we stay under that authority, all protection, provision, and success will be ensured. It's just like me to my wife and my kids. You can bust me up. You bust up my kids. Shame on you. I'm going to hang up my pastor badge just for a minute. be a bad day because I will defend them to the point of death. And Jesus will do the same thing for his bride, for his church. You know, God wants 
the church to succeed? Right. Jesus wants the church to succeed. But it says he is head of the church, his body. He was the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. His death, his, his birth, death, and resurrection ensured all of this. So God placed all of his fullness to dwell in him, that verse 19, and this pleased the Father. Uh, what God has given the Son, Jesus, Jesus also wants to give each of us. And, and how many, that's, that's a praise God moment right there. That everything that Jesus has, he's also wanting to give to us. So through Jesus, all things on heaven and on earth were reconciled. So that word reconciled means restoring that broken fellowship with the Father. That relationship that we broke, Jesus restored it. And the Bible says that we can come boldly before his throne of grace with confidence. Guess what? If you're going to bust through a door unannounced, you got to make sure you have authority to go through that door. But as sons and daughters, you know, it's like my kids in my office over here. Them jokers don't knock. I'll come in there. If I don't beat them in there, they're already on my computer playing. I'm like, what are y'all doing? It's like, well, and then they'll jump on the laptop. They are, they're getting a little too comfortable. I'm ready for school to start a little bit. Uh, but, man, they're on there. I said, I, I said, I said why you got to get on here? I said, I got to get some work done. But let me tell you what. As my children, they know they have rights to my office. They know they have direct access to me. They can come to me and they don't have to call first. They don't have to text first. They can just show up. It's the same way with us before Father. We were reconciled. That broken fellowship with the Father was restored through Jesus. It says it made peace. There was peace made between God and humanity through the blood shed on the cross. That there was peace between God. There was this broken system and Jesus changed all that. All right. Let's keep moving. So this next passage, I think, answers the question, who I was and who I am now. And, you know, and I think we have to realize that who are we in Christ now? I don't need to know who I was. I'm trying to forget who I was. Amen. But I want to know who am I now in Christ? We're going to look at verses 21 through 23. It says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. That's how you act. It says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Uh, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, um, this is the gospel you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So first and foremost, we were that alienated that we have to realize our initial condition that we were separated from God. I was alienated. I was separate from God. I was an enemy of God in my mind and because of how I acted and what I did. So you got to know what's broke so you know how to fix it. Or you need to know what broken was because you need to know what wholeness is. God didn't want us to stay broken. He didn't want us to stay distant. He didn't want us to stay alienated from him, but he wanted to redeem all that was lost. We did things that did not please him. I didn't think like God because I didn't know God. Guess what? We don't, we, we don't have that excuse anymore. When we come to the knowledge of Jesus, some things should change. But now, say that with me. Say, but now. Let's get to the good stuff. I don't like that doom and gloom stuff, right? Pastor, I don't like Todd remembering all that. Hey, I tell you what, if you remember where you came from and where you, where you know, if you know where you are now, you'll be excited about that. 
Because I remember what I used to be like. I remember where God took me from. And that brings hearts of gratitude. It says, but now you are reconciled by Christ's physical body. We talked a lot about the body and we talked a lot about the blood this morning. But we were, we, in Christ's physical body, we are holy in his sight. Thank you, Lord. Because I don't always see that. But God sees that through Jesus. When he looks at me, he sees me as holy. Without blemish. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Without blemish. That he sees me. Perfect. Beautiful. Without blemish. How about this one? Free from accusation. You can no longer be accused of not being good enough or not his because he has made you good enough and he has claimed you as his. So what is the promised guarantee of this? That if we continue in faith, staying established, staying firm, not being moved from the hope in this gospel, we know that God will work in us and we will live the life that he's called us to live. When we know who Christ is and what he has done, uh, we will continue to grow and we will continue to live our life in a way that is continually changing to be more like Christ. Do you realize that's the goal? Is to become more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. I hope we're growing. You know, you've heard of the movie as an older movie, Grumpier grumpy old man and then there was grumpier old man and you know how as life gets old as long as you get older you get meaner uh, you know, some of you are feeling that are you like oh yeah i don't know what he's talking about i feel it man we should become more patient more gentle i'll, I'll tell you uh, real quick uh midweek uh becky you know i don't know how i am when i fast but like in the middle of the week, she says, I need to tell you something. So I thought we were going to have, I didn't know what she was going to tell me. She goes, you've really had a good attitude this fast. <laughs> what are you talking about? Urgh, getting that grumpy. So I said, what are you talking about? She goes, well, you're just always kind of like, uh, just you're kind of floating around. It's just like, like cranky. You're like, I was like, what else? She just, I mean, I don't think she used the word pleasant, but she said, you just have a good attitude and you're just like. Great to be around this week. And I said, well, Lord, maybe this third time fasting this year was the ticket. Because, like, I guess the other times I was just angry and on edge or whatever. But it, all I can say, I didn't try to do anything different. I didn't know I was cranky the last times, actually. But she did, and she just noticed that there was a change. Now, I'll tell you what, since I've been back from that two-week vacation, which I thank you guys for, I didn't receive any phone calls. I didn't even know what was going on. I, had a, I, I talked to Morgan like twice to make sure he was alive. Um, but it was good. But I tell you what, I rested, I recovered, and I had to back off a little bit because I came back 110%. I said, my staff is going to hate me because I'm at 110% and they're trucking at 70 but man, I'm just, God is, God is growing me to live at this place of just peace and rest and realize like there's stuff that's a big deal. Like you can ask Pip, he's like, why are you walking around with that rag dusting off all the stuff? I said, cause it's bothering me, but I can do it in joy and peace. And it's not a burden because of the work that God is doing in my heart. So this promise of what God is doing is if we stay, if our faith is established and firm and our hope is in him, it allows us to live lives of peace Amen. and easy. And guess what? We'll be more pleasant around our spouses because that can only be a work of God. Because guess what? I didn't change anything. I guess God was working on me and I didn't know it. Thank you, Lord. If the other fast I was cranky around you, I'm sorry. 
I didn't know I was doing it. Okay, let's look at this last part in, in this passage. We're going to look at verses 24 and 29, but I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation um, just because I think it communicates it a little bit more. It's easier to understand. It says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Okay, no, did you get that? The suffering for his church, which is his body. Verse 25, it says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries uh, and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. So what can we learn from Paul here? It says, be glad when suffering. You can be suffering, but smile about it, especially if it's the cause for Christ. Now, I know some of us, we're going to complain and we're going to be frustrated when we don't get what we want or we're mistreated at work. But guess what? Did God give you that job to work? So there's always ways to even in the situation of not being completely satisfied to still be glad even in suffering. It's not always like physical abuse. Like it's not always like that where you're being, you know, beaten and bruised and lashes on your back. It's not always like that. I think it's just being satisfied and being enjoyable in hard situations. Being a testimony to the world around you. When you're ridiculed and looked down or spit on or like judged... You ever been judged? It's all worth it. That we would be glad in that suffering. And he says, don't suffer for no reason. Suffer for the cause of Christ. It says also, serve the church by proclaiming the message God has given you. This passage is really cool because it says, the message of Jesus is no longer a secret. You know, it, they, they were waiting. It was a secret that was kept for centuries and generations, but it has now been revealed to you and I. And it says the, that, it, that it's now the riches and glory of Christ because it, it's for everyone. He mentioned that, you know, it was for the Gentiles. This because this, it was just for the Jews and the Gentiles were you and I and the whole world. It wasn't limited to just one people group, but this message, this secret was to be shared with the world. But it, this right here, it, it, it causes, but here is the big secret. The secret first and foremost, what does he say in this passage? That Christ lives where? In heaven, far away. He never hears me. No, it says that he actually lives in us. Man, thank you, Lord. Next time you're like, well, I'm all alone. Well, I didn't know what to do when that happened. I felt like Jesus wasn't there. It's because you got a misunderstanding of where he is. You realize that Jesus is always in the side of you. Changes what you do. Changes how you act. You know, uh, if I was standing over your shoulder, watching you, you're like, ooh, that'd be a bad day. Because you know how some of y'all act outside of church. Don't lie to me. That's why you're in church today. You're like, I need some Jesus. Right? But can you visualize that? If Pastor Noe was just sitting there watching your every move, how would you act? 
Well, how much more should you act right when you know Jesus is not just in heaven, absent from you, but he lives inside of you? It means that he sees what you see. He hears what you hear. He's grieved by your conversation, by your friends, by your habits. And those things have to change. Allow God in you to do the work that only he can do. So what is this other big secret? It ensures and guarantees our sharing of his glory. When we know the secret, you know what we need to do? We need to tell others. That is the secret. We get to tell. Man, how many of you love telling secrets when you're approved to tell the secret, right? Man, I, gotta, I need to tell you something. Right? It's exciting. This is a secret you can tell. So it says that I work and struggle with all of Christ's energy that is powerfully at work in me. So we should be working and we should be struggling for the cause of Christ. How many of you served in one of the VBSs? How many of you served in both VBSs? How many of you know that it took a little bit of work, took a little bit of struggle to do both? Required time, required a Saturday. Man, dang church folks doing stuff on Saturdays? It required work. Maybe it required a struggle. Maybe it required flexibility. But it says with all of Christ's energy, work and struggle and allow that powerful work inside of you to change. So here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at six life principles that we can take away from this chapter one. I'm closing. We're wrapping up. So number one, a life changed by the gospel will produce fruit and grow. Got that? Is that Jesus? Number two, through Jesus, we have the forgiveness and redemption of all sin. You got to get that today. Man, if you ain't got that, you better be, well, you need to be, if you didn't know that, you're going to be walking out of here lighter. All sin, all I have to do is ask for forgiveness and it's covered. Ooh, Jesus, I need some of that. Because some of you came in here with heaps of sin, unrepented sin. But all you got to do is lay those at the feet of the cross and he'll wash away, cover you, require something of you. Number three, Jesus is all God says he is. Go back and read that verses 15 through 20. God reconciled us to himself through Jesus's blood shed on the cross. You know, if we take out the cross and we take out the blood and we take out the resurrection. We kind of have a broken gospel. But that guess what? That is the hope to which we stand. When you're telling somebody about Jesus, you better put those ingredients in the equation because it's not going to come out right. You have to have those. Next, I'm holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I'm going to say that one more time. You got to know that I'm holy in God's sight without blemish and free from accusation. Lastly, Share the secret. Proclaim Jesus. And, he, and they mapped it out on that last little part. Proclaim Jesus, warn others, and teach others with all wisdom so that we may pr be presented perfect in Christ. Say that one more time. Proclaim Jesus, warn others, and teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may, present, may be presented perfect in Christ. So I want to challenge you. Any doctrines, I'm, I'm going to challenge you the same way uh, I started. If there are any doctrines other than Jesus preached as a way of salvation, I'm going to give you a three-letter word, R-U-N, run. 
There is no other way to heaven. There is no other way to enter into the kingdom of God apart from Jesus. You have to know that. So faith in Christ is is sufficient for salvation. Know that today. Nothing is needed to be added and nothing can be taken away. That's the only way to heaven. So I got two options for you today. Number one, you receive Jesus. Or secondly, I commission you to preach Jesus. Two options. You can receive Jesus. And if you haven't received Jesus yet, I'm not going to hold you accountable to share the secret yet. But once you receive Jesus, I, I, I commission you and I ask you to share Jesus with the world. Once you receive Jesus, you can't help but preach Jesus. Can you guys stand with me? It's a lot of cool stuff in this first chapter, huh? I encourage you to go back and read it this week and allow the Spirit of God just to speak to you. Through this passage, we know that the word that God in his word says that the word is alive and active. It's like a two-edged sword. It says it actually pierces and, and separates the soul from the spirit. You know what the word really does? It, 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 it changes us and it judges us and it causes us to be Christ-like. If you've never felt judged, maybe you've never read this word, like because you know, I, I say judge, let me use the word convicted maybe. You know, maybe the word judged is like you feel bad about that. But, you know, how many of you know that one day we're going to stand before the throne of God and we're going to give an account for what we believed or what we rejected? It's not going to be based on what you did or didn't do. And, and, like, and like that theme phrase that I told you, Jesus is enough. You know, I ask people all the time, if you died right now and you went to heaven and you're, and you're trying to get in, they say, why should I let you in? Well, I went to church. I was a member. I gave my tithes. Man, I tried not to cuss that often. I tried to love my wife even when she wasn't lovable. Man, I don't know, like whatever you want to rationalize. You know, you, you remember... Uh, some of his tell shows how old I am, but it was old when I was young. But Popeye, when he was trying to get beyond the wall, and there was a secret phrase that had to be said, and nobody knew what it was. And how many of y'all remember what the phrase was? Open sesame. Man, nobody else knows that. I'm gonna make y'all watch that video one day. But it says open sesame, and it rolls back. Let me tell you what, when you get to heaven gate, heaven's gates, if you don't use the word Jesus, that gate will not open before you. God has given you a chance on this side before we go to eternity to make the choice on what you're going to do with your life. Still got breath in your lungs. You can't say that God wasn't full of grace and mercy because he's put a pastor in your life this morning to share the gospel of his love for you today and give you a chance not to go to hell. Because I'll tell you what, when we get to heaven, if we're in two separate lines, you cannot look me in the eyes and say, Pastor, you never told me. You know, that, that, is the, that would be one of the things that would torment my life. To have so many mornings and so many Sundays with the church and never tell them the truth of the gospel. But you can't do that. Because the word says that today is the day of salvation, that Jesus is enough for everything. I don't know if you're a follower of him or you have never followed him, but I'll tell you what, if you haven't and you want to make that commitment today to begin to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, whatever the road looks like, 
Can you just raise your hand up and put your hand back down if you've never done that and you want to make that choice today? Anybody in the room? So we're saying we're all followers of Christ, what I'm looking at. Mm. That's a good thing. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, you better come talk to one of us after the service. Because you're feeling all kinds of weird right inside right now. Because you're like, come on. Prayer team, can you guys go ahead and come up? And if, if, you're making, if you want to make that choice, you were too scared to raise your hand. When everybody disperses, sneak up here real quick. Because I'd rather you sneak up here than miss it. So for all of you that are followers of Jesus, I want you to go share the secret of Jesus with the world this week. You're going to be nervous out of your mind if you've never done it. Or you're going to be nervous out of your mind if you've always done it. Because there's something intense and exciting about sharing a secret sometimes. But you are authorized to share this secret of Jesus with the world. So I want to commission you and I want to encourage you guys next week to invite a friend. You know, we share the love of Jesus with others. But how many of you know that sometimes when you're in a room like this, you can catch the love of Jesus? You say, I don't know what it is. Something weird in this place, but I just feel like I want it. That's all that's required. And I believe that's Holy Spirit inside of you drawing your heart. It's God drawing his heart to you. And all you got to do is say, Lord, I will follow. I don't know what to do, but I will follow where you lead. Amen. So let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room. Lord, I thank you that Jesus is enough. That Jesus is enough in our lives. Nothing more and nothing less. Father, I pray that we would grow in our relationship with you. God, I pray that we would be all that you've called us to be. And Lord, I pray that we would all live lives that bring you glory. Lord, Father, just like Jesus made your kingdom visible to man. God, I pray your church would make Jesus visible to the world. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I say, come and have your way in our lives. Do what only you can do. We love you, God. If you, if you could boldly say this with me today, say, say, Lord, my life is yours. The good parts, the bad parts, all of me, my heart, my soul, and my mind. Take this life and make it something beautiful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.